Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes. For the next few minutes, I'd like to give you an invitation to stick it out. Stay with me. Listen up. It's a simple time of motivation, inspiration, some education, and we do it without any type of manipulation, which means we don't play games. We're not trying to con you for money, not trying to hit you up to join anything, to fess up anything. We just want to give you some information. Hopefully, that information will verify and identify the plan of God for your life. And if you want to, you have the freedom, you have the privacy to orient and adjust to the plan. That's what the flat line is about, giving you the plan of God, showing you how you can use tremendous problem-solving devices taught in the Bible to stop the outside sources of adversity before they ever become the inside sources of stress. These Bible problem-solving devices are for Christians, people who have made a decision to believe in Jesus Christ. The flight line is designed to remind Christians of these biblical truths and hopefully to introduce you to a way of studying and a way of learning that, uh, that will appeal to you. See, my job is not to harass you, just verify and identify the plan. And that plan starts with the reboot, I call it, the reboot. You know, your computer shuts down, you reboot, get it going again. Well, as a person that is born into this world, we are born spiritually dead, the Bible says. For by one man sin came into the world, and death by sin, and now death has passed on all. For all have sinned, and the wages of sin is death. So we need a reboot. And that reboot is seen in John 3, where Jesus told Nicodemus, the scholarly Pharisee, that he needed to be born again. Born again, born a second time. And Nicodemus was a bit confused, and the Lord Jesus Christ said, I'm surprised you don't understand this. But the reboot is the second birth. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment, the Bible says, and the Bible also says that he that is in Christ is a new creation. Old things are passed away and all things become new. And how does that happen? For by grace you're saved through faith, according to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God and not of works. So the reboot is a gift, a gift from God, a gift for you to start your life all over again. Regardless of what's in the past, any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. A chance to redeem yourself out of the slave market of sin because of what Christ did for you on the cross. He paid the penalty for my sin. He paid the penalty for your sin. We are the ones that should have been there, but he was judged in our place. And this redeemed us. This satisfied the justice of God. And now we have an open invitation to become members of the royal family of God. When we do, when we move into the family of God with the reboot, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are born again. We start a new life. <clears throat> and in that life, it goes through three phases. Phase one, salvation. Phase two, what we do after we're saved. And phase three, what we'll do in eternity. So we're in phase two now. What do we do? How do we live? What's it all about? And simply put, there's a plan. God has a plan for each of us. 
We have to learn the plan. We have to execute the plan. And the plan has protocol. It demands that you do it in the right way. A right thing has to be done in the right way. And so as we learn the plan and execute the plan, we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We become the man or the woman that God intended for us to be. We glorify God to the maximum. We replicate the life of Jesus Christ. And we have a phenomenal impact in our universe, a phenomenal impact in our nation, in our family. It's an invisible historical impact that lasts throughout all eternity. So that's what we're talking about. So I have a question. A couple of weeks ago, I asked you if you love God, and I wasn't sure what your answer might be, but part of the problem-solving devices is personal love for God. That's part of those problem-solving devices. The Bible is clear in 1 Peter 1.8. It says, whom you have seen, excuse me, whom you have not seen, you love, though you do not see him Yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible, full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. It's possible to love someone you've never seen, and the answer is yes. I've never seen God. You've never seen him. and We've never seen the Lord Jesus Christ. We live by faith. But by faith, as we study God's word and we come to see his tremendous love for us, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We see his tremendous care for us. We love him because he first loved us. As we develop this rapport with God by learning his word, we learn to love him. You can't love someone you don't know. Come on, you know that. And people say, oh, I love God, but they don't even know him. If you learn him about him and learn his character, his essence, his plan for your life, then you can love him. Jesus in John twenty twenty nine said to Thomas the doubter, because you have seen me, you believe? Blessed are those who have not seen me, and yet they have believed. In Matthew twenty two thirty seven and 38, Jesus said to a lawyer who was asking a leading question, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first mandate. And what our Lord was quoting was Deuteronomy 6, 5. In Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 7, as written by Moses, these words I command you, and they shall be in your heart. You shall teach them with diligence to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house. Talk of them when you walk and when you lie down and when you rise up. That is, the word of God might be important. It might be important. Do you think so? One of the problems we have in our nation today is we have shut down on giving the word of God to our children. And somehow or another, we feel it may be offensive if we go into a school and talk about Jesus Christ. And true, it may offend a couple of people, but we have a whole generations of young people who have not ever heard the Ten Commandments, do not know what the Bible says, have not been allowed to be given a Gideon Bible even, and don't even want them to pray at a football game. It's crazy. But that's what's going on in America today. Everything that used to be good is now all evil. And everything that used to be evil, well, we applaud it and accept it as really good in the name of diversity. Well, the Bible says that we must love God. 
In 1 John 5, 3, this is the love of God, that we keep his mandates and his mandates are not a burden. If you love God, that is the motivation to obey God. It's the number one motivation in life. It is personal love for God. This is why we do what we do, because we love him. This is the greatest virtue that you and I could have, personal love for God. The Lord Jesus Christ had an issue with the church at Ephesus in the book of Revelation, and he pointed out a problem. He said in Revelation 2-2, I know your works, I know your labor, I know your patience, I know you cannot stand evil, and you test the prophets that you have perceived, you have patience, and you have not become weary. But there was one thing missing at this church. Their faith had become so technical, it wasn't personal. And listen to what was said about this. You have left your first love. You have left your first love. What a terrible thing to say. You have left your first love. Their faith had gotten so technical, so, so mechanical, that they failed to still be in love with God. Now, Paul talked about the same church later in Ephesians 1.15 and said, I heard of your faith and your love for all the saints, and I keep praying for you. And uh, this is something that Paul said also in Philippians 1.9, I pray that your love may abound still more and more in all knowledge and discernment so that you can approve the things that are excellent, things that are from the Lord. So you can live without offense till the day of Christ comes back. Having personal love for God does, is not something that you just work up in your mind. It's something you developed in your soul. It's an appreciation for who and what he is. We love him because he, God, first loved us. We've never seen him. We don't know what he looks like, but we know what he does. We know what he provides. Every breath of air you take is compliments of the grace of God. Every day you wake up, compliments of the grace of God. That family you have, those grandchildren you have, compliments of the grace of God. How would you recognize this sort of believer, this believer that really loved God? How could you tell? Well, number one, they'd be obedient. And the Bible says, if you love me, you'll obey me. And my mandates are not hard, 1 John 5, 3. So God's not going to ask you to do something that would jeopardize your life. He's not going to ask you to do something that would harm someone else. He just is going to ask you to be obedient. Now, if you have a sin nature like I do, and you have a war in your flesh like I do, and of course the Bible says we all do, the flesh Wars against the spirit, the spirit wars against the flesh. They're contrary one to the other, so we can't do the things we should do. And then the Bible mandates in Ephesians 5 that we should walk in the spirit. Walk in the spirit, that we should be filled with the spirit. And so the filling of the Holy Spirit is an obedience mandate. It's us obeying God. And how are we filled with the spirit? Well, we're indwelled with the spirit when we accept Christ as our savior. And we're filled with the Spirit anytime we rebound, problem-solving device number one, anytime we rebound our personal sins, we are filled with the Spirit. So how would you recognize a believer that really loved God? Well, he's obedient. 
and he's respectful and cautious. He doesn't take God for granted. He doesn't think he and God are big buddy buddies. You know, we're talking about the God of the universe. We're talking about our Lord and our Savior. And that doesn't mean that we can be controlled by our emotions either, because that, you know, emotions are a wonderful appreciator, but this is not the type of love I'm talking about. The type of love I'm talking about is a respectful capacity for the character of God by what he's provided for us through Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. This sort of believer wouldn't be mechanical and he wouldn't be legalistic. He would not lose his spontaneity. Uh, he would act freely. He would act cautiously, naturally, without being forced to do certain things. You know, like some people pray only a certain time of the day or they give only in a certain way. Uh, if you don't worship the way they worship, then you're not really worshiping, whatever, whatever, whatever. Revelation 2, 5, back to it. The curse, you left your first love, your motivation to be obedient. You left it. They lost their reciprocal love motivation. The church at Ephesus, that wonderful church, lost it. And we are warned in 1 John 3.18, My little children, let us not love in word and deed only, but in truth, in word and tongue only, excuse me, but in deed and in truth. Again, 1 John 3.18, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. In 1 John 3.22, And this is his mandate, that we believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us the mandate in Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine: Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then in 1 John four nineteen, we love him because he first loved us. Do you love him? Do you know him? Do you understand the God that you know? See, this is a, a real problem and the Bible talks about this in the book of Jeremiah. God said, I, I want somebody who not only knows me, but somebody who understands me. How can we understand a God that we don't know? For example, do you understand he's sovereignty, righteousness, justice, love, eternal life, immutability, veracity, omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence? I know I just rattled off a lot of big words, but do you know any of those? Because if you love God, you're going to know every one of those. It's not just an emotional thing. It's a great capacity. It's a great appreciation. It's something that you dedicate your life to learning and serving the person that you love. One of the greatest distortions that Satan has in this world is in this area of love. People think that love solves problems and that if we just find the right one to fall in love with, we'll be happy forever. I got news for you. Marriage doesn't solve problems. It compounds problems. So we're talking about a love that's not an emotional love. The love of God has been distorted by Satan, I believe, in every aspect of life. So, uh, you know, if you really love God, you won't execute anybody because just because they murdered 25 people doesn't mean we should execute them. So you have people that our so-called believers that march on some prison where they're going to execute some guy that's a vicious murderer. And they'll say, well, you know, if you love God, you didn't do that. And you got to love all the evil stuff nowadays, stuff that is repulsive, stuff that is, um, 
used to be evil is now good, as I've told you. And, of course, the, the big thing today is, well, you got to love these people. You can love people from a distance, you know. doesn't mean you have to put your arm around their neck and hug them. There are just two kinds of people who claim to love everybody, and hopefully you and I are not one of them because it's usually a drunk or an idiot, neither of whom has any discernment. So if you're going to love God, it starts off with understanding his character. And, you know, I mean, there's love for God, love for your spouse, and then friendship love. That's wonderful. But there are two sources of love in this life. One comes through the filling of the Holy Spirit, and one comes through the spiritual life. In 1 John 2, 5, whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. Because of this, we know we are in him. We know we're in him. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. That's the rebound technique. So when we rebound and are filled with the Holy Spirit, Galatians says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, mercy. So we get love produced by the filling of the Holy Spirit. But also as we grow spiritually, love is manifested in our life with obedience. This is the virtuous love that we're talking about. Love for God is the motivational virtue that motivates you to be obedient. Love for others, even the ones you don't like, is a functional virtue. And James 2, 8 and 9 is the royal law. It talks about loving your neighbor as you love yourself. That doesn't mean that you've got to go hug their neck, but it means you've got to stay relaxed. You've got to understand this. I'm sure there are people in your life you don't like. There are a few in my life I don't like either. But the Lord Jesus Christ died for not only for us, but also for the ones that we don't like. If he died for them, why do we think we're privileged to not like them? Why do we think we have the right to spurn them or talk about them or gossip or malign them? We don't. He died for them. And if we are going to be Christ-like, we have to love our enemies just as he loved them. And that doesn't mean that, that we're going to hang out with them all the time, but it means this, that you can have a relaxed mental attitude in their presence, that you don't have to get nasty and angry and vindictive, that you can live your life under the filling of the Holy Spirit, using the mechanics of Bible doctrine in your soul, and be completely at ease around the biggest jerk you know of in your whole town. That's impersonal love. It's you being able to to provide for him what God provided for you. It's a wonderful thing. Functional virtue, loving those people that are unlovable. You know, that's exactly what God did for you. You were unlovable In John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You were that person. You were the unlovable person. And he loved you. You didn't have his righteousness. You didn't have his integrity, but he loved you. He loved you based on his character, not your character. He loved you based on what he was, not who you are. And as you accept Christ as Savior and come to know him, then you develop this reciprocal love where you love him back. 
You know, love is only as strong as the essence of the character of the person who professes to love. To love. It's, it's not just an overt expression or physical touch. It's a character asset. And if you love your spouse, you only love them based on as much as your character. What's your character like? Do you have integrity? Do you have honesty? Are you virtuous toward your spouse? You know, it's a mental attitude, not an emotion. Emotions are not stable, but the mental attitude is stable. This love for God, this personal love for God, doesn't turn on and off or appear and disappear. It's always the same. People that don't have a capacity for love, I feel sorry for them because they're always uptight. They don't have a sense of humor. They, they, um, they, they take themselves way too serious. Those sort of people are hard to hang out with if they take themselves way too serious. Here's what you got to remember. God was in business before you got here, and he's going to be in business long after you're gone. So chill out, relax. He's got it under control. And, you know, experience doesn't make a good lover. You know, um, men who know more about love, uh, two men in the Bible who know more about love than anybody that I've studied, neither one of them were married. Paul and Jeremiah, amazing to hear them talk about love, and neither one of them were married. So the more experiences one has with the opposite sex, the further away they are from really knowing what love's all about because experience has no bearing on true love. What makes a man a good lover is knowledge. I pray that your knowledge would increase, Philippians 1.9, with great virtue. The word of God in your soul approves those things that are excellent, helps you to be sincere without offense to the day of Christ, Philippians 1.10. So the more of the word of God you learn, the more you realize the importance of loving God, and the more you become obedient to God and love the Lord Jesus Christ. And thus, the more capacity you have to love your spouse, to love your friends, So the Word of God maintains this, that you love on an even balance. Don't scatter your love around on objects that are never designed to be objects of love. You know, you've got some of those in your life, some of your hobbies. I love this. I love that. You can enjoy the the assets that God gives you, but your love is directional and functional towards God, towards your spouse, maybe towards a few friends. So anyhow... The principle of the verse, Philippians 1.11, being filled with the fruit of righteousness, which are by Christ Jesus under the glory and the praise of God. That's the result of the capacity for love. Filled with the fruits of righteousness. That's capacity for love. Capacity for love is phenomenal. And Paul prays that the love in the church at Philippi would abound with production of divine good. Divine good not human good. Remember, divine good is whatever you do for God under the filling of the Holy Spirit. Whatever you do for God under the activity of the old sin nature is human good, and that'll be burned up at the judgment seat of Christ. So you want to show up in heaven with a basket full of divine good, 
those things you've done while you were filled with the Holy Spirit. Divine good has a maximum impact in your life and in the lives of those around you. It's not a point system, uh, but it is the automatic result of you having a love for God. You would be obedient. You would obey God. You would be seeking God's will in your life. And uh, when you have the Word of God in your soul, then you have those norms and standards that guide you, norms and standards that direct you. And uh, that's the amazing thing about personal love for God. Love is not necessarily for unity, but for stability in your life. It's a spiritual weapon, and uh, the Holy Spirit pulls the trigger when you're filled with the Spirit, and then you love, you love based on that. Now that you've purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, 1 Peter 1.22, so that you have genuine love for one another deeply from the heart. Genuine love, wonderful capacity for love. Friendship love is an amazing thing. You know, there's so many of you I've never met in my life. I just talk to you on the radio. But I have no doubt we could be wonderful friends and we would have friendship love capability respectful love for one for another based on our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So think about that. Think about that in regards to your family. The thing that draws you close to another person is mutual thinking when you think alike. When you think alike, when you think the Word of God, when you operate on the Word of God, you become close to people. And that's where the friendship love comes in. It's an amazing thing. No hardness of the heart, no sin separating you one from another, but staying filled with the Holy Spirit, purified by God's Word, using rebound and handling that. And uh, that's the key to understanding the spiritual life. So there is a spiritual life, and it includes rebound, the filling of the Spirit, the faith rest drill, grace orientation, doctrinal orientation, a personal sense of destiny, personal love for God, impersonal love for others, sharing the happiness of God, and occupation with the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the problem-solving devices. We'll talk more about it. But by the way, we have a bookmark with those listed on it. If you'd like it, just contact us. We'll send it to you free of charge. And never any, We don't sell stuff here. It's all free. So think about that. If you want it, let us know. We'll ship it out to you. Thank you for listening to me today. I hope it's made sense. Personal love for God is the greatest virtue you could have in your life. Please think about that. And please come back next week. Same time, same place, same person. A few of our stations, we're rotating off the air looking for new places. So if you lose us, let us know. We'll tell you where to find it. Till next week, this is your host, Rick Hughes, saying thank you for listening to The Flatline. Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.